This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. Part two of my conversation with Robin D'Angelo is up next. She's an amazing social scientist and one of the most clear thinking people on the issue of race. She catches a lot of blows from white folk because they feel that she's a betrayer. But I believe that if you really want this country to be strong and if you want America to be great, you have to participate in making sure that there's equality and justice for all because those are the founding principles. We can talk about the BS all we want, but America will never be truly great until there are opportunities for everyone who is here to compete on an equal playing field. Up next, part two of my interview with Robin D'Angelo, author of White Fragility, Why It's So Hard for White People to Talk About Racism. So I work in corporate America, where I happen to be um, one of only, I'm I'm the only one, the only black woman, the only uh, person of color who holds a title in, in my firm. And one of the initiatives that I've attempted to advance um, ad nauseum is diversity and inclusion initiatives, because I feel as if the way in which they approach talent hiring, uh, I could present I've presented business cases on why it makes sense to do business in communities of color. Um, When you look at who's who's going into business for themselves, who's becoming entrepreneurs, we know that that group is black women. Right. But. I can walk into a room and have a conversation with a new black business owner in a way in which most white people cannot, right? Mm. And so when we talk about ways in which we want to grow as an organization, right, it makes sense for us to talk about, when we talk about organic growth, it makes sense for us to talk about having people who look like the world that we inhabit, right, to go out and talk to people who also inhabit this world and do business. But for some reason, every time I bring that conversation up, I am met with immediate resistance. And one of the, the discussions that I had um, in, in HR surrounded around the ageism that there were seven decades of working class right you rolled your eyes thank you it's the same thing that I did but ultimately I can't understand what the resistance is you I've made a business case for it tons of time there's tons of information out there that can support it why do we still resist being able to do business in a way that can affect because we feel entitled to our positions and um, that threatens that sense that this is my job, my place, my position. Um, we like a little bit of diversity cover uh, as long as you don't fundamentally challenge our, you know, our place, uh, our sense of ourselves. Um, you know, I think one of the most hostile, toxic environments for people of color day in and day out. Yes, we have police executions. Those things are are profound and extreme, but day in and day out, it's unexamined whiteness. Most white people cannot answer the question, what does it mean to be white? And if I can't tell you what it means to be white, I cannot hold what it means not to be white. I'm not going to be able to um, bear witness to an alternative experience. And we bring that to the table with us. I I wish white people understood that it's not about wearing a robe and marching in Charlottesville. It's this complete inability to think critically about race at the same time that we are so certain that we have nothing more to learn. And so if that's the state of mind I'm in, and then you suggest I should open the door for some more people like you, not like me, um, I'm going to feel um, thrown off of my racial equilibrium well one of the things that I feel is I feel like I'm a unicorn you know yeah. I, I, I feel like they think that I'm so different you know what I mean that, that that's why I'm here you're, you're here 
because you you operated a, another. I call it a special magical Negro because mm. there's an exception for all of that. Well, you know? and we love that, right? I mean, I get to claim you as my friend, right? I mean, as long as you don't fundamentally challenge me. I mean, <laughs> question any racist pattern I have, and that you're going to be a personal problem. But but if you make me feel good about myself, then I do. I, I like you in small controlled doses. I mean, I'm I'm being really blunt, but mm. I think anti-blackness is really deep. We we have been conditioned to you know to see black people as dangerous and criminal and less intelligent and those are submerged because they conflict with our conscious identities as good people but but they are operating we can see this you know i, I co-wrote an article called diverse candidates encouraged to apply how hiring committees keep reproducing whiteness i mean none of these uh, narratives and none of these claims have changed our outcomes so something's going on and and the way we're going about it is not challenging it we're going to spend some time talking about solutions because i want some solutions we're talking with robin d'angelo dr robin d'angelo a book is called white fragility why are you such a race traitor (laughs) oh um you know maybe just a really quick uh explanation would be that i grew up in poverty and first of all i'm a white person who's clear as a bell that i grew up in poverty i experienced deep shame and humiliation homelessness foster care and i always knew i was white Please, I don't have less racism because I grew up poor, right? But I did have a really acute sense at an early age of shame and inferiority. And I could tell you that in great detail, all about it, right? I could tell you all about sexism too. I could never, ever begin to tell you how I'd benefited from somebody else's oppression. And when I began to work side by side with people of color and I began to realize, oh my goodness, you have benefited from that from an oppression, you know, that people are feeling something similar to what you experienced. That's unbearable to me. Um, so I suppose I, to not be a race trader is to collude with racism. And that's not acceptable there no, for me. There no, there no, uh, there's option. no neutral. There's no, there's there's no, no the, the, you can't be in the middle with this. The default of our society is a reproduction of racial inequality. It does it beautifully. It's always done it. Our, our outcomes aren't getting better. They're getting, they're getting worse in some measures. Um, so something uh it so inaction really just supports that system i i often say you know all all the the system of racism needs to keep on keeping on is for white people to be really nice Hmm. just be really nice i'll smile at you if you're my coworker. uh we'll go to lunch on occasion and i will do nothing different and a niceness i mean it's better than not being nice but it's it's better not than calling me the n-word that's but. right but it's not courageous in any way it's courageous. not strategic it's not intentional it will not get racism on the table actually it definitely won't get racism on the table and it won't keep it on the table when everyone in your workplace wants it off the table so everything everyone can stay in their deserved supposedly place or their comfort bubble yeah Eight six six eight zero one eight two five. I'll get to the calls in a second. You have a chapter, chapter eleven, white women's tears. Oh, you start the term. Woo! Hold on, I might, I hold might on. fall out. Hold on, I might let me, fall let me out. just read. The term white tears refers to all the ways, both literally and metaphorically, that white fragility manifests itself through white people's white people's laments over how hard racism is on us. In my work. This is Robin D'Angelo. I consistently encounter these tears in their various forms, and many writers have already provided excellent critiques, and she provides you with those 
those resources. Here, I want to address one manifestation of white tears, those shed by white women in cross-racial settings. The following example illustrates both the frustration that people of color feel with those tears and white women's sense of entitlement to freely shed them. Tell us the story that you tell in this book. Is this the one where we gathered together over lunch? Yes. It was another No, shoot. no, no. This is a, there was a police shooting. Yeah. Uh, okay, yes. Yeah. This is it. Yeah. Uh, and so my workplace, who, um, fairly progressive, uh, called together anyone at lunch who wanted to come together and kind of have community over this, this event. Um, please come. And just before we started, a black woman pulled me aside and said, um, I am in no mood for white women's tears today. And I said, I will take care of it. And so just before we began, I made an announcement um, that if any white uh, woman uh, felt moved to tears, to please step out of the room. And uh, I would go with the, her if if she needed me to, but that we would not uh, make space for, for that in the meeting. And of course, we had a white woman erupt in outrage, and I spent the next hour outside the room trying to explain to her uh, why it wasn't appropriate in that setting. So, so let me say, I really think white people have to ask ourselves, why aren't our hearts breaking, right? Uh, how can we be so numb to this? But our tears, our grief has impacts on other people and there there's a deep history of terror for for black people in particular when a white woman claims to be distressed over some kind of racial interaction and of course Emmett Till comes to mind right and we invoke that history of terror that's one piece the other thing that happens is when we're, you know we've been conditioned to protect and coddle white women and when a white woman cries all the resources in the room immediately rush back to her. She becomes the victim. And now, you know, you who, you know, triggered her tears are the transgressor. Uh, and we're, fought, we we're forgetting all about what it is that you may have spoken to or what testimony you may have provided that, you know, that triggered the tears. Uh, and we're back to, you know, good, here's the, here's the victim and here's the perpetrator. And it's the opposite. It's the perversion. You made a great analogy to we accept men who are angry we accept a man's anger but if a woman displays the exact same emotional uh disposition right. she is categorized quite differently because of how we've been conditioned about mm -hmm. men have the license to be angry and to be strong and to be aggressive well if white we, men do white okay go ahead talk talk <laughs> Ms. talk dr d'angelo well, I mean, and this is why I, when I think, I mean, and I, I can talk, talking and write about sexism too, but to, in some ways, I, I would imagine that black men in, in their own homes or communities, you know, we live in patriarchy and they can be sexist, but I don't know if there's a more vulnerable uh, person on the streets than a black man, right? And so I think it has to be qualified, right? We, we don't, oh my God, it's, it's, it's actually life, actually, yeah, uh, a black man just reaching for his wallet risks death, but being angry is really, really, really dangerous. Uh, so I think this is why I don't think you can look at any kind of identity or form of oppression and take race out of the picture mm -hmm. because it changes it. Have you, have the, you two women, you're both black women, I'm white. Have you ever had a white woman just say, but, but womanhood, that's the universal experience. Yes. And uh, uh, what was your, <laughs> inside your head, what was your response to that? Recently at a women's history event, um, because that's become a thing now, like two, five years ago, we, w we didn't discuss women's history month that much, but I'm discussing it now in corporate settings, right? So there's a lot of uh, resources surrounded around it. And I went to a women's history month event um, for a, a humongous magazine and there were 
wonderful women uh, involved who are running companies and corporations and all sorts of uh, other uh, tremendous feats. And during the conversation, one of the women said that, you know, being a woman is just this amazing experience. And when it was time to give our thoughts of the day, because there had been about 12 panelists uh, all over uh, a number of different sectors. And I said, you know, one thing that would have been wonderful would have been to see an Asian woman on on the stage or to see a black woman or a Latino woman on the stage and silence, you know, went into the room. And we tried really hard to find women of color who ran businesses and but there were no one. There was just no one to find. And I bullshit. I'm a student. I'm a professional. I'm a woman. And I shouldn't have to worry about walking alone, day or night. I've heard it all. Honey, give me a smile. Harmless catcalls? I never know. I carry Tiger Lady. It's a revolutionary defense tool that's based on one of nature's most efficient defenses, a cat's retractable claws. It weighs less than my phone and is designed to collect DNA. Tiger Lady is discreet and fits in my hand. And when I make a fist, claws come out like a real-life Wolverine. It's easy to use doesn't require training and is legal in all 50 states. Get your Tiger Lady today by going to TigerLady.com today. Tiger Lady makes the perfect graduation gift to prepare her for the world ahead. Get Tiger Lady today for safety's sake at TigerLady.com. And for a limited time, get a pack of four at 15% off. Use the code GRAD and save an additional 20% off your entire order. Go to TigerLady.com. That's TigerLady.com. Tiger Lady, the ultimate gift of personal safety for any graduate. And so for me, you know, my experience and women ran this event through and through. And so white uh, women, white women ran this event through and through. And so I have found that even in work with white men and, and, and in my my business with white women, I found them to be disingenuous and I can deal with white men and their shit. But for mm-hmm. some reason, when it comes to a white woman and her, and her behavior, and I have a personal experience that happened with my mother that I won't even go into. Uh, one of her closest friends was a white woman, and, and it, it almost cost my mother her job, that friendship, that professional friendship. Um, but I sometimes find that they're... Their interaction with women of color it's can duplicitous. be is duplicitous. Well, yeah. we know that fifty three percent voted for Trump. Yes. So I struggle now in that pussy hat. Oh, you were so angry right. with your pussy hats. Where were you during uh, election day yeah. on, in the voting booth? Yeah. Hey, I, I I'm really clear that white women do not land any more lightly on people of color, and I I think that the the hurt and the betrayal is likely deeper because we have a potential way in mm-hmm. through sexism, but so many white women use sexism as a way out. There's no more a shared woman's experience than there is a shared human experience. In a I mean, we don't live on the spiritual level. In the physical world, right. in a society deeply separate and unequal by race, there is not a shared woman's experience. Well, you talked about women's suffrage. Didn't, <laughs> it didn't include us. Exactly. Right. All right, exactly. Susan B. Anthony and, and Katie uh, Stanton, and all, they, they were out there. Fred, they had Frederick Douglass as an yeah. ally, but where were... Where, Yes, and you can you can be oppressed in one axis of of identity and life, and still benefit from someone else's oppression and collude with that oppression. Because you can, at the end of the day, you go into bed, you're sleeping with the person that you know. You can always ne- negotiate as a white woman because yeah. you you sleep with power. Yeah, I I love this book. Uh, I was enjoying reading it, and I and I also could see where I fall every day mm-hmm. having this conversation. Because it's really not my conversation to have. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and I want to acknowledge that I could not even begin to articulate uh, what I can today without 
years of brilliant mentorship from people of color uh, and some black women in particular. Uh, and, and, you know, the nature of I know you got some this. black relationships, oh, you know Robin D'Angelo. I know you. <laughs> you, ha- you have uh, tasted the potato salad without raisins. I know this. That's so funny. Robin D'Angelo. You know, I'm conflict avoidant with the best of them. I'm from Seattle, by the way. Um, and uh, we used to do these trainings, and there'd be a really angry white man, you know, arguing every point and blocking us from going further. And these black women would take me aside, and they'd say, you need to take him out, and you need to talk to him white person a white person and tell him to you know behave and that's the last thing I want to do right go talk to some angry white man I have my own intimidation but these black women told me to do it so I did it I put on my white hat right not my gender hat (laughs) and I, I got better and better you know it really toughened me up around my conflict avoidance all right, we're going to take a couple of calls because I had a billion questions and you have to leave. I don't know why. What do you have to do, a book oh, signing? Oh, yeah, I'm doing a book signing tonight at the Strand. At the Strand? We love Seven. the Strand. The Strand. All right, the strand. that's downtown. <laughs> Let's uh, go to Indiana. Sonia, you're on with Dr. Robin D'Angelo. Welcome to the Karen Hunter Show. Hi, Karen. Hi, Cousin Phil. I'm sitting here in my car and my heart is just full because... Uh, listening to Dr. D'Angelo is just all so real. So honestly, I don't, I can't even talk right now. Mm. So um, just give me okay. a minute here. I'm just trying to, uh, my first question in the beginning was, at what point in history, you know, did white people feel as though that they were just better overall? And then listening to this and listening to Miss D'Angelo, I've experienced so much of it in corporate America yes. uh, to the point where I just stepped down out of management, being in management for so many years. But just listening to this, it's a lot. So mm. I'd like to just keep listening. Okay. Oh, thank, All right, you. thank you. God bless you. You know, Chenhisi Coates and also Ibram Kende, uh, both black scholars, um, talk that racism is the parent race is the child right and we we are taught to believe that racism racism is some natural thing that you know people have always had because we're afraid of difference no um we you start with the exploitation of the resources of a group of people that you have the ability to exploit and then you make up a story to justify your exploitation and so that's what he means. We had racism, and then we made up race as a way to justify it. And it's a relatively new idea. And I say that because the caller had said, you know, when did this start? I am not a consumer, I am not, excuse me, a producer of racist ideas, but I have been a consumer. There's, we're all consuming it. So that's why I don't struggle with guilt. I want to get that out in case it doesn't come up. I do not struggle with guilt. Uh, I am responsible for my role in a society in which racism is the bedrock. And so I'm either I'm either challenging it or I'm colluding with it. But I don't feel guilty about it. Let's uh, head over and take a Bernard in Michigan. Dr. Robin D'Angelo is in the house. Hey, Bernard. How are you? Awesome. Good. First time caller, I enjoy yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. Racism has its basis, like the young lady just said. It's steeped in who has the power. And the dynamic therefrom means I have to dehumanize you. I cannot see you as a fellow human being yep. and exploit you because man has a conscience. In order to exploit you, in order to do, dehumanize you, I must reduce you down to something other than 
of fellow equal human beings. Awesome. All right. You're spot on. I'm going to try to get as many calls in as possible. Thank you, Bernard. Welcome to the call-in family. Marilyn in Alabama, really quickly, let's uh, try to do 30 seconds. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Karen. I just wanted to say to Dr. D'Angelo, just in going through Amazon and ordering a lot of things, I came across a book just the other day and wanted to say that I'm so happy to hear her today, and definitely that's my next purchase, <laughs> and I'm going to recommend her. Thank you. System, which is PWI. I'm going to recommend you for the next PLU for administrators and leaders in my school system that are predominantly white. Thank you so much. Great, awesome. and, and that is what I'm doing full-time now. So, yes. Yeah, I resigned my academic position, Did and you? I'm speaking and training. Uh, I just feel like I could be more effective that way. Yeah, we need people to train people and this was so helpful to me because again racism is not and i've said this on the airwaves not going to end unless white people make a commitment to end it we didn't start it black folk didn't start it folks from the global majority this is not our our bag we didn't benefit from it and it's going to take white folk to stand up and say this is enough and if you've ever scratched your head i imagine you have and just wondered how do they pull this off right can they really not know uh well i try to explain how we come to not know and how we pull this off and then what the consequences are. But the consequences benefit white people. Robin yes. So how do you explain to millions and millions of white people across the globe, because it's not just an American problem, that they have to somehow give up their privilege because to them it feels like oppression. That's the uh, quote that is going around. Right. I would say that most of those people that it's benefiting would claim to be against it. And so, so if you want to align what you profess to value with what you're actually doing, then you have to, you have to get involved. Give us some action plans uh, for people who are listening who are black. How do we navigate mm-hmm. racism when we're confronted with it, as Cousin Sil was just pointing Can out? I, I just have to say this. On behalf of my people, I apologize for our nonsense. And I want all the listeners that are people of color today to just hear that I will not be silent. And until my last breath, I'm going to try to wake my people up and continue to wake myself up. So that, that's the first thing is that I will never be through. You know, every moment that I push against my conditioning, it's coming right back at me. And, and it's seductive. Oh, my goodness, I don't have to do this, you know. Uh, And so it's very compelling, and we have to, we cannot be complacent. So lifelong, ongoing education, mistake-making, relationship building, uh, humility, none of it's easy. You know, white people always say, what do I do? And it's like, well... I could tell you what to do, but you're not going to like it, right? Because it's not easy. Uh, But it's also the most stimulating emotionally, intellectually, psychologically, spiritually. It's the most fantastic, uh, transformative work I've ever engaged in. I just think of all the things people miss out on, not having really genuine relationships. Because black people are some of the coolest people I know. I don't know how you could spend your whole entire life, 75% of you, not having a relationship with somebody that can make good potato salad. I'm just saying. You know, when I when I'm <laughs> giving a talk and I map out um, uh, some of the ways in which my racism has shaped my life, I think actually the most profound way is that I could I could go to school, I could play, I could love, I could work, I could literally live my entire life, and I could die with virtually no relationships with people of color and black people in particular. And no one ever in my life who's ever loved me or guided me has ever conveyed to me that I've lost anything of value. And I think that's the deepest message of all. White people measure the value of our lives through the absence of people of color. I know exactly what a good school is. And I know what a good neighborhood is. Uh, And it's almost 
completely on the basis of race. Wow. So the absence of people of color, that's deep and that's profound. And, and if white people are being honest, they know what I mean. We haven't been taught to see that loss as anything. Uh, Valuable. problematic yeah and so you know I think when you start looking at that I can you live with yourself I mean I, I can't live with myself uh, if if I don't try to break through that I hope you enjoy let me know what you think about this interview with Robin D'Angelo hit me up on Twitter at Karen Hunter hashtag podcast and you can ask me any question I'll pick a couple and I'll answer them on a Sunday till next time